listening to Treasuring Scripture, a podcast of the weekly teaching ministry of Lebanon Baptist Church, Roswell, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us at LebanonBaptist.org. Last week, we began a series here at Lebanon Baptist Church entitled Together for the Gospel, in which we are exploring the letter to the Philippians. This, of course, is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a young church in ancient Greece, a church that really was in a very strategic location, kind of the entrance into modern-day Europe, but one that was very much in between Rome and Jerusalem at the time. And, of course, from this city, much would be accomplished for the gospel. Uh, Last week, we hoped to have these, but they didn't come until uh, this past week. But if you're interested in getting a copy of uh, the letter to the uh, Philippians and just this particular letter, uh, we, uh, whenever I start a series, we often make these available to you. It has the text on one side and then a place for you to record notes on the other. And I think they're all on sale in the lobby if you're interested after the service. It's in this letter... That Paul calls this young church, this young gathering of believers, to unity in the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That they would work together to get the name of Jesus and the message and the hope that is found in Jesus to the world in which they lived. Are you today working and laboring together for the sake of the gospel? Are you giving yourself to that great task that, of course, Jesus commanded you to do? What you'll find as you make your way through this book is this. We are better together when we're working together and feeding off each other. God wants us to be in unity. Jesus is in the business of transforming people like you and me through the knowledge of his son And then causing us to live for a cause much greater than ourselves. And that is the cause of Jesus Christ. So Paul writes this letter to do a number of things. Number one, to thank them for their involvement and thank God for his involvement in their lives. To encourage them. He also warns them about different areas where they need to uh, beware And then he also calls this church to live out the gospel in their difficult context. As you survey this particular letter, the four chapters of it, one clear aspect is that this letter is an extremely personal letter. In fact, if you were to just ring it together, it would drip love. Paul loves deeply this particular assembly. When I was in grad school, I worked in a college dormitory, a men's dormitory, and uh, each night there was this note delivery service where the guys' dormitories, which were on one side of campus, could send notes to the girls' side of campus, to all the girls' dormitories, and they could send them back and forth, and they'd pick them up at a certain time, and then they'd drop them off. And so each night, it was sometime around 1045, they would come into this particular dormitory that I was in, and they would just dump the letters on the floor. And if a guy had a female friend on the other side of campus, he'd, of course, come and check and see if he got a letter. Uh, at that time, many of the letters from the girls' side of campus 
were drenched in perfume. Okay? So not only could they read the letter, they could smell the letter. Okay? Now, text messages can't do that these days. Okay? Uh, you don't get the full effect of a full note with perfume on it. Of course, even today, it may not be perfume anymore. It may be essential oils. You know what I mean? On the other side, it's like, oh, I can smell on guard. This is awesome. Uh, or frankincense or something like that. Today, if we were able to scratch and sniff this particular letter, it would be filled with the perfume of love. You can sense Paul's deep affection for this church. This morning, I want you to see the heart of a man who was living for the gospel who was encouraging a church to live together for the gospel, and ask yourself this question. Do I also have, you could say, the distinguishing marks of someone who is living their life for the gospel? Do you find these in your life? So we're going to look at the distinguishing marks of someone living out the gospel. And if not, if you don't have these marks, why not? What's going on in your life right now? So today, I want you to notice five marks of an individual living his life for the gospel. But remember here at the outset, it is God who produced this in Paul's life. It was God who was, you could say, the gardener who was fostering these things. And the first distinguishing mark of a man living out the gospel was this, thankfulness to God. Immediately following the greeting, which is in verses 1 and 2 of our text... Paul continues his letter with an action that echoes kind of a pattern that he does in many of the other letters that he writes in your New Testament, and it's this. He's thanking God for certain things. This is the first mark of a person who lives out the gospel. It's thanksgiving. But notice, you think that he's about to thank them, but he doesn't. According to verse 3, it says this, I thank who? My God. In all my remembrance of you. Although Paul could have expressed deep thanks for this particular church, it was God to whom he had directed his thanks. And he's telling them about this. In fact, he knew that the source of all the good things in this world is ultimately rooted in God himself. I remember, uh, of course, when my kids were young and they would go to birthday parties of course, who, and they would present to their friends certain gifts uh, for their birthday parties. They, of course, would get thanks from their friends, but ultimately, who was the one who ultimately bought the gift? I mean, it was dad. He spent the money. He, he did everything there, but they were able to just pass the gift along. Ultimately, all the good gifts that happened... You know who they come from? They come from God. We know that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from what? From above. And it cometh down from the God of heaven who, who doesn't change or anything like that. He is the one who brought this church at Philippi into existence. And he ultimately was the one who was enabling them and fueling them to start living out the message of the gospel. And this is an evidence of Paul's own vibrant faith in his God. Now, there's some debate on what this verse actually 
meant when it says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you. You say, why? Well, the grammar in the Greek could support the translation that Paul thanked God for their remembrance of him. And possibly referencing how they had helped support him financially as he's in prison for the gospel's sake. And he says, I thank you for your remembrance of me. But the way my translation, which I'm using the English Standard Version, takes it, and how I believe it was meant to be understood is this. Paul is thanking God whenever this church comes to his mind. When he begins to recall the Philippians and and what was God doing in their midst and how they had helped him, every time he, he had remembrance of them, he thanked God for them. Why was he thankful for them? Look what it says. Go down to verse 5. He says, Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. They had become his co-workers, his partners. Uh, we, we saw last week, of course, that this partnership carried the idea of they were fellowshipping with him. They were comrades. There was a camaraderie. They were sharing in the task of trying to get the gospel to the known world. They had joined, you could say, the family business and involved themselves in making more disciples of Jesus. Now, Paul, of course, was in prison at the time, and they had sent one of their own, a guy by the name of Epaphroditus, to take some gifts from their church and no doubt monetary help to help him as he was incarcerated and seeking to continue to live his life for the sake of the gospel. So why is he thanking God for their companionship in this task? But go down to verse 7 as well. He, he references it there too. It says, It is right for me to feel this about you because I hold you in my heart for you all partakers with me of grace. Of course, we know that all of God's great work happens because of the grace of God. God's grace worked in their heart, and it worked in Paul's heart, and they were both partakers of grace who helped him to, you could say, defend the gospel where he was in prison at the time. Now, I personally believe that he's writing from a Roman prison. Different people believe that he could be writing from Ephesus in prison. Some people believe he's maybe in Caesarea I particularly believe that he's in Rome at this time, and he's writing this letter to this church. So I'll stop here, and I, I, I told you last week that one, one mark, even before we get to the marks this week, one mark of grace in a person's life is they become a partner in the family business of sharing the message of Jesus. But our first mark this morning that I want you to notice is thanksgiving. Paul was a man who gave himself to thankfulness. He was thankful for this church's evidence of their own faith being lived out. And I can say this, I do want to hear at the beginning of this message, thank God for this congregation, who as I referenced in our prayer for now, and really it's over 185 years, this church has been partners in the gospel. I want to thank, the, thank God for even three weeks ago, we had our missions emphasis weekend. And besides the, the 
the finances that you give on a weekly basis and what we set aside for giving the gospel to the world, you gave an additional over $30,000 just to help those missionaries take the gospel to Palau and to uh, Indonesia and to the various parts of the world. Thank you. I thank God for you and your involvement. Can't help but think of even the church plant on the other side of town. One Hope in Kennesaw, where you have graciously given of yourself to help, and many of you have given your time, and many of our members, when they heard that there's a need out there to get a church planted, they started going to help. I got a, an email this even this past week. They said, we saw the video message from Pastor uh, Huffman. And Pastor Brian, we're not going to be there on Sunday because we're out there helping. We want to be a partner of the gospel. And there was another couple who was wanting to, hey, how can I help in this way? I've just been encouraged even uh, the past three weeks, one of our own church family, of course, uh, one of them got COVID, and because of being, having COVID, they were in the hospital, and their house flooded, and, and all of this. I mean, it was like a Job situation. And I just was able to, in many ways, just watch our people love on this family and reach out to them and, and their Sunday school class and meal trains and all of this. And it was just a partnership in the gospel. I mean, we're to do good. And the Bible says, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And I thank God for the evidence that's in so many of your lives of living out the gospel. I see it in in, in just a couple of weeks. I'm going to be taking a trip to Utah. Many of you know that one of our great burdens is that the gospel would be evident and clear and displayed in that needy area of the Salt Lake Valley. And when I get to Salt Lake on that vision trip, our church has been involved in a lot of that work there for now decades. And, and as I get there and, and people start finding out, oh, oh, yeah, he's the pastor of Lebanon Baptist Church. You know what? Lebanon Baptist Church has a testimony in that, that whole valley, if you could get there, for giving themselves for the gospel in that area. And I'm just thankful to be partners with you in reference to that. I thank God for you in reference to it. But I'll tell you, one mark of gospel living is, th- is having a thankful life. Are you a thankful person? It's not easy to do sometimes. The founder of the college that I went to, Dr. Bob Jones Sr., said this, when gratitude dies on the altar of a man's heart, that man is well nigh hopeless. It's just a simple little quote, but you know what? We got to be careful that we can easily start thinking about all the hard things in life and not thinking about, you know what, what is God doing? And he is doing something. He is working, and we ought to be thankful for it. When was the last time you thanked God for another person who's living for the gospel? You personally thanked God for maybe another person in this particular assembly or someone you know, God, I thank you for this. If you're not thanking God for partners in the ministry, I submit to you, it possibly is this. You've gotten your foot off the accelerator and you're just living for yourself right now. 
He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. So that's the first evidence of grace in a person's life, and that's thankfulness to God. Second mark is this. Mark number two is prayer. Paul goes on to tell them that he prays for them. Look what it says in verse four. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Did you notice that two times he references, and it's that word prayer. Now, it's interesting. There are more than one Greek word for prayer. And so when our translators try to translate the different words for prayer, they just have kind of one kind of in the English language. So they're just like, it's prayer. But this particular word is a specific word for supplication, the idea of specific request. Paul was specifically praying request for them. No doubt, as he's in that prison, he got requests from Epaphroditus and from other people who were traveling through in reference to this Philippian church. Notice that he was specifically, continually praying for them. Now, this doesn't mean that Paul was always praying. Okay, he does tell you in other places, pray without ceasing, and that uh, the idea is live in a, you could say, an attitude of prayer to God. But what this text is saying is that whenever the Philippians came to his mind, what it led him to was to begin to entreat God for their, for their help and pray specifically for different areas that are going on in this particular church. And no doubt, he prayed for their witness in that community. I mean, it was a hard area. I've told you I visited Philippi. I remember when I was touring the archaeological remnants of that city. And I just sat in one corner of what they would call the agora or the marketplace. And as I sat on a rock and just meditated on what a God had done, and I just visualized there was a, there was a marketplace road that they knew was kind of a place where market... Uh, um, there were tons of little shops and different things. And I, I just imagined the Apostle Paul healing that slave girl of the demon. And then the owners getting upset and dragging him before. And there's a place where they call the Bema, which was, uh, you could say, the tribunal area. And you can see it even to this day. They, they've discovered where it would have been at. And this is where he would have been beaten with rods. They have a place where they believe the, the prison would have been. And here was, here was Paul knowing the society that they lived in and no doubt was praying specifically for them as they sought to defend the message of the gospel in their very, you could say, difficult area. One of the marks of a gospel-centered life is someone who is praying specifically for the furtherance of the gospel. Those living for the gospel will become praying people. They will go to God with thanksgiving, no doubt, in their prayers, but they will also pray specifically for the continuance of the gospel. So often we can pray, and I mean, what's your prayer time like? Is it simply, God, I just pray that you'll be with the Macaulay's. Let me just tell you, God's already going to be with them. He already told them he's going to be with them till the end of the the age. But maybe you pray, God, would you help Clark and Tricia as they give out the gospel in their vicinity? 
Help them to not have fear. Help them to be bold. And pray specifically for them. Evidently, Paul says, I have prayed for you. Every time you come to my mind, I am praying specifically for the furtherance of the gospel in your life. That's the testimony of a person living together for the gospel. You know, each week, if you're a member of Lebanon Baptist Church, you have the opportunity to receive a prayer update. And on that prayer update is all the different requests that many of you can send in. And it's a bunch of people who are asking you to be partners with them in prayer. When was the last time you just took a few moments to just pray for your family here? I mean, I've made it a point. I try to. I never delete that message until I prayed through that sheet. And you know what it helps me to do? It helps me to engage with other people within this congregation. If I don't know somebody, I mean, I kind of know everybody on the list. You may not know everybody. So God, help me to meet that person. But I'm going to pray for them. How cool would it be as if all of a sudden one Sunday there's someone you don't know and you, you met them and you hear their name and says, you know what? I prayed for your sister. I, I prayed for her this past week. That's being a partner in the gospel. Paul was a man who was continually thanking God, and he was continually, actively praying specific requests for the furtherance of the gospel. On that same prayer sheet we give out each week is normally the missionary of the week, and we've contacted them and asked, what can we pray for specifically for you? Some of you may not be involved in the mission of getting the gospel to the world because you're just not doing the simple things that help you to think about living for a cause much greater than yourself. I mean, what are you living for? Are you learning to pray? One opportunity is this week, Wednesday night, Pastor Hester and Mrs. Hester every Wednesday night, they have a Zoom. And even if you can't get here in person, you have an opportunity to join on Zoom and just pray. And join corporately with other people and ask God for his help. Let me encourage you to do that. So that's the second mark. Thanksgiving to God is the first, then prayer. Number three would be the mark of joy. You see that laid out in Paul's reference to prayer. Look at verse four again. It says this, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with what? With joy. So when Paul prays, Internally, there is joy in his life. How would you characterize your prayer time? Is it morbid? Is it boring? Evidently, here's a guy who says, whenever I pray for you, I pray specifically, I pray with thanksgiving, and I pray with joy. There's joy in my heart. Of course, that word joy here in verse 4 of chapter 1 is the intro of a theme that we're going to see kind of all through this particular book, and it's this idea of joy. Now, joy is not the absence of problems, because there are going to be problems abound. What does the Bible teach us? In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good what? Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. What does uh, the Apostle Paul say? We must, through many tribulations, enter into the kingdom of God. 
So this side of the fall and this side of the consummation, the period that you live, you and I live in, guess what? It is going to be filled with death. It is going to be filled with problems. It is going to be, I mean, you have to continue to put those glasses, those lenses that I've told you as a congregation you have to have. You need to see life through the lens of creation, that God created this world for his glory. And it should give you, you could say, purpose every day to live for his glory. But then you also need to have that lens of the fall. Realize that you, li- you and I live in a fallen world and that gives you perspective. That's why there's death. That's why there's COVID. That's why there's depression. That's why there's anger. That's why there's bitterness. The world's broken. But then you need that third, you could say, lens that you have to constantly look through. And that's the gospel. That God is in the midst of redeeming and restoring this world. And the reason that Paul could have joy, even in the midst of difficult situations, is because his mindset was set on the gospel. That was the lens he was looking through. This isn't the end. This isn't the end. God's doing a work. I'll tell you, what you think about is incredibly important when it's connected to this joy. I know for me, I lose my joy when I just start thinking about all the difficulties in my life. I mean, you wake up in the morning and they barrage you, don't they? Some of you, it's not too hard. It's like, my leg, it's killing me. Or you think of that doctor's appointment two days from now. Or you think of that relational difficulty that's going on in your life and you begin to think about those things and it's easy to get discouraged really quick i've i've never been a real observant person okay i mean i mean if a doctor says so uh, what's going on uh, uh you feeling bad yeah i'm feeling bad okay what is it i don't know i just don't something doesn't feel right my leg doesn't feel right like where is it at i don't know um, was it at your knee? Uh, I'm not sure. I'd, I'd, I've never been really observant. And oftentimes what will happen in my own life is I'll have, I'll get down, I'll get uh, fearful about certain things. And normally if I start experiencing those emotions, what I have to ask myself is, what have you been thinking about, Brian? And if I follow the trail from my emotions and my feelings, and I follow that trail to what I've been meditating on and thinking about, I realize why I feel the way I do, because I'm thinking about all of these difficulties. I believe that Paul was a man who could pray with joy because his mind was set on certain truths that you could say transcend all of life. That God is good all the time. That God is great and God is working all things for his good. And we're going to see one of those truths in just a moment. But think about this. Paul is right now in prison. And he's telling them, I'm praying with what? Joy. Had he not illustrated this to this very congregation? There was a guy that he's probably writing to in this letter. We know him as the Philippian jailer who had gotten converted, he knew that Paul knew how to have joy in the midst of trial. Why? Because after he had been beaten with rods in front of the bema, 
He's taken to the Philippian jail, of which this guy was kind of the guy in charge. And here he is nursing his wounds. And what is he doing? He's singing and praising God. Here was a man who learned how to have joy. And and joy is a byproduct of a life in the Spirit. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. It's what the Spirit does in a person's life. But I would say it's also, you could say, a byproduct of the next mark that I'm going to look at. But a question that I have for you this morning is this. Are you a joyful person right now? I think that thankfulness and prayer go hand in hand with this idea of joy. If you learn how to become a thankful person and reflect on what God's done for you, and you begin to initiate it, and thank God for the blessings that God's put into your life, and you begin to take your request to God in prayer, what God will do over the long haul is He, the farmer in all this, the gardener, He will begin to produce the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy. But if it's not there, are you really living for the gospel? Mark number four, okay? Mark number four is this, confidence in God's future work. Okay, so after Paul tells them of his thanksgiving, his prayer, his joy, he tells them something that he is firmly assured of in reference to them. Look at the beginning of verse 6. He says this, and I am sure of what? Of this. This is something I'm just for sure about. And then what he does is he shows his confidence in God's work in their life. Look what it says at the end of verse 6. He says this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, some people, okay, some commentators have taken this to refer simply to the good work of partnership that they had in helping him as he was dealing with the situations of him being in prison. And he was just saying, I I know that God's going to finish the work that you started in helping me in this difficult situation. But I believe that the application is so much broader. Paul is confident that God would be the one to complete the work that he started in their lives many years before. In fact, just a few verses before this, he referenced from the first day until now. And of course, in his mind, he was reflecting on how God had saved Lydia, and God had saved the Philippian jailer, and God had delivered this a slave girl. And how God, who starts a work, is one who always finishes the work that he is going to accomplish. And Paul was confident of that fact. In fact, one of the commentators said it this way. Jason Myers says, Since salvation did not begin with the will of man, it follows that the completion cannot decisively depend on the power of man. You know who's in charge of all this? It's God. And when God begins to pour out grace on a person's life, you know what he does? Anything he starts, he finishes. Salvation begins with God's grace. This is where you see Jesus for actually who he is. There may be some of you here today, and maybe some of this is new, this partnership of the gospel. See, I don't understand all this. This is kind of going over my head up here. 
You say, how do I even begin to comprehend this? Well, let me tell you, the only way you're going to be able to comprehend being a part of this great enterprise of the gospel is that you've got to be born a second time. What? Can I control any of this? Let me ask you this. Can you control the wind? That's what Jesus told a guy by the name of Nicodemus. He's like, how do, how do I get to the kingdom of God? You say, what has to happen? God's grace has got to open your eyes. He's got to begin to work in your life, and you've got to come to right conclusions about God's Son, Jesus Christ. That Jesus is God's exclusive way to salvation. And that Jesus was none other than God who came in human flesh. I mean, as I was singing this morning, I don't know why it came to my mind, but I'm singing there. I, I just imagine, can you imagine if Jesus Christ walked in this room today? First of all, many of you maybe not, would not recognize him. You would not necessarily be drawn to him because, you know what, he was, as Isaiah says, there was nothing that was necessarily drawing us to him. But there was something about Jesus. Jesus was the God of the universe who became human flesh. And he lived a sinless life. And then he died a cruel death. Why did he die that cruel death? Well, all the Old Testament sacrifices foresaw one day someone who would come and be the atonement for man's sin. And ultimately when Jesus came, he was the Lamb of God who died to take away the sin of the world. And in order for you to have your sins forgiven, you have to place your faith in Jesus and him alone. You have to become his follower, his pupil. He has to become your master and you turn from your sin and you place your faith in him. And the Bible says, he that hath the son hath everlasting life. You have life. And what Paul was saying this, he had such a confidence that God who began that work of grace in those people's lives, he was one day going to complete it. He was going to finish his job. And once grace penetrates your life, He's in the midst of, like I said, when we were talking about that song, Complete in Thee, during my prayer time, whenever God justifies somebody, you know what he also does? He declares them righteous, but then he slowly sanctifies them. That's the spiritual life that you're living right now. But anytime he starts justification, he'll continue with sanctification, and then one day he will glorify you and make you like his son. And Paul was competent of that. I oftentimes use the illustration of... uh, the Appalachian Trail, as an example of the Christian journey that we're on. Now, there are numbers of people who start the Appalachian Trail, and they don't finish, okay, from Georgia to Maine. But according to the Bible, if God starts you, guess what he's going to do? If he starts you in Georgia, he's going to get you to Maine. He who began a good work in you is going to complete it. The big question is this. Have you got started on that journey? There is a lot of people who are going to share with you other Jesuses. Jesuses that aren't God. Jesuses that are lower than God. There are other people who are going to piddle their different truths on the way to heaven. 
And there is only one way to heaven. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given among men whereby you must be saved. And it's through Jesus Christ. And what Paul knew was this. When God saves a person and washes away their sin, he will continue to work in their life and finish the work till they get to heaven. In fact, he says here, until the day of Jesus Christ. That's the day when Jesus Christ is ultimately going to accomplish it all, our glorification. Humans often have a hard time finishing a job. God doesn't. And Paul was confident in God and that he would ultimately finish what he started. You know, when I was converted as a teenager, of course, I've told you guys many times, I think I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior probably many times between the age of like 5 and like 16. I can't tell you when I became a true follower of Jesus Christ. I think it was somewhere in that span. But I'll tell you, the best evidence for past faith is present faith. What are you depending on right now to get yourself to heaven? Is it in Jesus and his finished work on the cross? And if it is, he who began a good work in you is going to complete it. And I'll tell you, it was that truth that I believe fueled the Apostle Paul with joy. Because he knew God is the one who starts work and finishes work, and he can trust him. And so when he goes down to prayer, he says, God, I thank you for what you're doing in these Philippians' lives. In fact, I want to pray for them in reference to, uh, I pray for that Philippian jailer. You know, he's got a lot of hard co-workers. Would you help him as he continues to give the gospel to them? And I thank you for Lydia. I know that right now her business is suffering because of her testimony for Christ. Would you help her as she continues to sell her purple in that particular area? Would you bless her ministry? Would you allow her to continue to do what you've called her to do? And I'm so thankful that one day you're going to complete the work that you started in Lydia's life. And because he was doing those things, there was joy in his life. That was another mark of his being together for the gospel. The final one is this. Mark number five is this. A big-hearted love for all. Paul had a deep love for this church. In fact, Jesus had said many years before, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples and that you have love for one another. One of the clear evidences of being a follower of Jesus is that you love other people. We see Paul's love inherently in his prayerfulness and thankfulness for this church. But he tells them that truth explicitly in verse 7. Look what it says. He says, It is right for me to feel this way about you, or for you all, because I hold you in my heart. This is where I hold you. And then, he then brings... God to the stand, you could say, and tells them how he yearns for them with Christ's affections. Look what he says in verse 8. He says, for God is my witness, how I yearned for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. That's That's a pretty significant statement. What he realized is that he could be a channel of God's affection. When you and I become followers of Jesus and we look to him for salvation, it's almost like we're this new funnel. Our faith goes through him and God pours his love through us and we become, you could say, channels of God's love to other people. 
fact, I think it's in the book of Colossians. It says how faith works through love. Your faith is, uh, it's almost like a, a funnel that has uh, two doors. One is where you look up, you look to him. God, I, I'm depending on you. And then the other one is love, where we are just pouring out our love toward other people. And that's what being a channel only, you could say, as the old uh, gospel song used to sing, channels only of that love. And Paul was that big-hearted, loving, you could say, teddy bear to this church. He basically was saying, when he, when he says in verse 8, For God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection. That word affection literally is the inward parts. It's the inward organs. He basically is saying, I'm loving you with all my stuffings. Okay? Every bit of me, I'm giving my love to you. But notice as well that this love was not restricted to a select few. It wasn't like, hey, I love Lydia because she's a... She, she's that seller of purple, and she supported me. In fact, she let me stay at her house a number of weeks as I began the gospel. Or I just don't love the Philippian jailer. Did you notice that all through this text, he had a big-hearted love for how many people at Philippi? All. You find that in verse 4, you find that in verse 7, and you find that in verse 8. In fact, I want you to look at it. Verse 4. He says this, always in every prayer of mine for you, what? For you all. Okay, go down to verse 7. He says this, it is right for me to feel this way about you, what? All. Go down to verse 8. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. You know what we like to do? We like to be selective in our love for people. Even within this church, it's easy to do this. Oh, I love this couple and this couple and this couple and this couple. And it's easy even within a church to develop cliques. Yes, there are some people that you're going to connect with and maybe you're in the same life stage class or maybe you, you just, you really gel with them. But I really believe that living out the gospel and a mark of it is that you develop a big hearted love for everybody within the household of faith. And if there are people in this particular assembly that you're just choosing not to love and invest in and give yourself to, that's a problem. Paul was a man, the gospel's bigger than that, isn't it? It's enough to love all. Yes, you may... Enjoy those times with those people, but your love ought to be for everyone within this group. So this morning, we have smelled the perfume of a letter of Paul's deep, you could say, investment in the gospel in this church. Do you have these distinguishing marks? Do you have thankfulness to God? Do you have prayer? Do you have joy? Do you have a confidence in God's work? Do you have a big-heartedness, you could say, to all? These marks are themselves a mark of the work of God in your life. 
And if you're not seeing those there, and you know you know Christ, let me tell you, encourage you, first of all, that he who began a good work in you is going to what? Complete it. But one of the things we'll also see in this letter is you are to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then he says, for it is God that works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And if today you took the EKG and it's like, there's no joy there. There's, let me tell you, don't, don't get discouraged. I would say get repentant <laughs> and ask the Lord to forgive you of getting off track and say, God, I want to begin to thank and pray. And I want you to restore to me the joy of my salvation. And then help me to be a partner and, and realize again that you're up to something big. And you're going to finish it one day. That glorious day that will be. It's going to be there before we know it. And you and I only have a little bit of time left. Okay? We only got a few more exits to go. Okay? And we ought to give ourselves to partner for the gospel. And here Paul gives us an example of a man who just lived that way. And may our church engage themselves as this church did evidently in being together for the gospel. Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, I thank you for the testimony of the Apostle Paul. I thank you that he gave himself for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for this Philippian church that no doubt made great ripples in the work of Jesus Christ in that world during that day and age. And as I've prayed already, I thank you for the work that you've done through this church. But Father, we want you to do more. Father, for some reason, you are tarrying your second coming. And Lord, would you once again renew Lebanon Baptist Church's commitment for the gospel? And would you help us to engage ourselves in living it out in our community? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here today. And as you leave, uh, if you're visiting today, stick around if you can for a few minutes. We'd love to get to know you. And uh, as I mentioned, if you want to pick up a Philippians book, you can do that. Sign up for the, the retreat. And if you're here as well, and you've never began a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you're like, how do I even do this? Can I just like begin to investigate this? If you want to just like set up a time to like meet with another follower of Jesus and find out where am I at spiritually? We would love to be able to connect you with somebody, grab some coffee with you or whatever you like to drink, and then and share with you uh, how you can begin a relationship with God. Thank you for being here today. May God go with you. Thank you for listening to Treasuring Scripture. It's our desire that every Christian treasure God's Word in their heart. To follow our podcast, please hit the subscribe button. If you're interested in learning more about our church, please visit LebanonBaptist.org.